0: Hey there, and welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallagher. And I'm Hunter Cates. Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy celebrated its 10th birthday in June,
1: so we're looking back at the gritty reboot that started it all, Batman Begins. Then in special features, we will discuss the legacy, for better or worse, of Nolan's take on the cape Crusader. And finally, we will wrap up the shows we always do with some really rad recommendations. We'll hit the ground running briefly with Batman Begins banter, but first... So the big news
0: that happened recently is we finally have a new Spider-Man. He is to be played by 19-year-old Tom Holland, who hails from Great Britain. And I think the overarching significance of this for me is that now four iconic American superhero characters have been played or will be played by people outside of the United States. Christian Bale as Batman, Henry Cavill as Superman. Uh, Gail got it as Wonder Woman. She's from Is- Israel, and now Tom Holland from Great Britain. Does this mean that Americans are just not very good actors,
1: or they're wimps? Hmm. Um. Donald Glover's Spider Man. That's really all <laughs> I ju- to say. <laughs> all right. Uh. But no, I I don't know. Like, it, it doesn't really bother me. Um. You know. Have Have you heard the story about when they were casting for Game of Thrones in, initially? I have not. Uh, okay. So like Jamie Lannister, he had to be. You know this. Beautiful, amazing looking, you know, just like Prince Charming, essentially. So they did. had to go to
0: Scandinavia. So the,
1: exactly. They had to, they had to go and get someone who, because the only people who were really available in America, you already knew, and they didn't want someone who was a super recognizable face to be tainting that. And so from that perspective, I don't know if that's, you know, factoring into their decision making at all, but, uh, if it is, like, I think that, you know, it's it's kind of a smart move for you know creating an iconic character.
0: All right, fair enough. Have you seen Tom Holland? Any pictures of him or any movies with him? Uh, no, I don't think so. I've said this before. Kids today, even teenagers, look substantially no- younger than even we did, and we looked really young. This he looks twelve.
1: Can we just rename this segment "Kids Today" and "Kids Today"?
0: <laughs> I mean, I would say rename the show because that—that's <laughs> most of what I want to talk, to, talk about his kids' day. But honestly, he's 19 years old and he looks 12. Yeah. So that I mean, looks.
1: I think he looks older than Asa Butterfield, though, who was I know up. Oh for yeah, it. absolutely, and also
0: I think a Brit. Yeah, I, I think you're right. So we have a new Spider-Man. Another interesting bit of news is that Jurassic World, which we reviewed in the last episode, has completely overwhelmed box office expectations. Not only did it set the opening weekend record, it also set the second weekend record. And the film it beat in its second weekend was Pixar's Inside Out. Now, I don't know if you all knew this, but this is the first time in 20 years of operation, the first time they've been since they've been making movies uh, with Toy Story, that Pixar has not opened number one. However, it, uh, Inside Out made $90 million. Which uh, was
1: higher than any other opening. Yeah, higher
0: context? than any other except for Toy Story 3. So, you know, no one's crying at Pixar. But it is kind of fascinating that you have a studio that has had such a winning streak and with a lot of original work. That for the first time in 20 years, they have not opened number one, and it just gives you an idea of how successful Jurassic World has been. Which, and I,
1: which kind of blows my mind.
0: Steph. Oh, absolutely. And I have theories about that and what this means and what it means to both the future of the kind of movies that will be made that you can read about in our second midweek memo. I will write an article about this. And I believe you can subscribe to that on our website, Chris. Yeah. Hunter, what is the midweek memo? The the midweek memo is kind of a package of everything going on at war starts at midnight. It includes Chris's Friday featured flicks, as well as my Turner classic Tuesday recommendations, as well as the latest episode. And then you will also every other week get an article from either Chris or myself on some movie related topic. And as I said, this week's movie-related topic will be concerning Jurassic World's box office performance.
1: You know, Hunter, normally I think your prognostication prowess is fairly prophetic when it comes to the box office. However, there was one key glaring error you made recently. Um, I'm not following. Well, as regular listeners know, a month ago you and I made a wager on a box office success of Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, the deal being that if the film Did not place in the top five over Memorial Day weekend, I had to chug the world's most disgusting summer beer, a Lennon Kugel summer shandy, and do it on mic in the war bunker. If it did place in the top five, well, you had to toss back the bad brew. So, Mr. Cates, over Memorial Day weekend, Mad Max Fury Road placed three behind Tomorrowland and Pitch Perfect 2. Translation? You lost and must pay the price. You know, I've done a
0: lot of thinking over the past couple of weeks about this deal I made. Um, And here's the thing is, as a millennial, personal comfort and personal pleasure is more important to me than personal integrity. Uh And so I am going to violate my sacred bond and not do it i i am not going to drink that nastiness
1: i can't do it i I just can't (laughs) okay well you know the rules of thunderdome (laughs) chris you can't be serious hey man bust a deal face the (laughs) wheel you've gone mad exactly but i'm going to show you some mercy you don't deserve and allow you to review batman begins prior to facing your punishment how does that sound
0: well, in that case, Chris, let's go back to Gotham for our 10th anniversary review of Batman Begins. To travel the world,
1: now you must journey inwards. What you really fear is inside you. There is no turning back. The parents' death was not your fault. The training is nothing. The will is everything. If you make yourself more than just a man, if you devote yourself to an ideal, you become something else entirely. Are you ready to begin? Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy is often looked upon as a modern pinnacle of superhero franchise films. It changed the audience's expectations for movies adapted from comic books. Gone were the tongue-in-cheek days of using the shark-repellent bat spray from the Bat Ladder, self-referential one-liners, or broadly theatrical sets inspired by German expressionism. With the release of Batman Begins, Nolan ushered in a new era, that of the gritty reboot. Now, superheroes were supposed to be grounded in some form of reality, and everyone but the Joker needed an origin story. Ten years ago, this felt fresh and innovative. Today, it's expected. Standard operating procedure for an industry that regularly announces release dates years in advance. I love the old Michael Keaton films. They were a seminal part of my childhood. But when I look back today on Burton's original Batman, between the Prince soundtrack, the huge haircuts, and the audacious Dayglo palette, it feels very 80s. So, I'm curious. After a decade of being inundated with imitators, does Batman Begins feel fresh and honestly original? Or has the subgenre it created somehow diluted and dated it? Or, to ask with an excess of alliteration, have clones corrupted the conceived cleverness formerly found in this chronicled creation of the Cape Crusader? Bravo, sir. Bravo. Okay, so before you actually answer that, uh, give me a moment because I have someone to introduce. Oh, hey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> joining us today to wax poetic about the world's greatest detective is boy billionaire and Batman buff, Joseph P. Dale. Joey, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: Now, it
0: says here that you haven't, do you have a nickname prepared for it? Because I have an option.
2: (laughs) Okay, good. Because I was reading the script and I could never think of anything. And when I got here today, Chris was like, you should you know blah 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 introduce you and I'm um, just you know joke here and for some reason I thought that was like a bad pun for Joker and he, my name was going to be first name Joe last yes. name Kier and uh, I, I told him I would really kind of like us to refer to you as Joker or Joe Kier for the remainder <laughs> oh, of the no. show if that's fine <laughs> I mean it's
0: your show I'm just along for the ride so but in any way to answer that alliterative question my reaction to Batman begins post TDKR is a lot like it was whenever I first saw it. It didn't... Whenever... He, I, let's let's get, take a time machine back to 2004, 2005. I was under the impression, probably well up until a couple months before it came out, that this was going to be a prequel to the Burton series. Okay. Because the idea of reboot wasn't in my vernacular. Right. So I was thinking that it was going to be an episode one, mm-hmm. as it were. Despite the fact that Christian Bale looked nothing like Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, or George Clooney, I just assumed that's what they were doing. <laughs> and then... Once I saw it, I realized that, no, this is the start of a new franchise. It never occurred to me up until uh, Dark Knight Rises that, the, that it was meant to be a trilogy. I thought that this was going to be like James Bond. They were just going to mm-hmm. relaunch the franchise and it was going to go on ad infinitum. So Batman Begins, when I first saw it, did not seem as fresh as you described it. I enjoyed it, but it seemed like... Really? A, yeah, it seemed like another superhero movie not to the same extent as say an X-Men or a Spider-Man or anything like that, but it did seem like this is this is the relaunch of Batman. We're in a new superhero movie culture and this is us our attempt at Batman. It was only until the second one Dark Knight that I realized that they were doing something different.
1: Hmm. So did then let me ask this going back and seeing it again now uh recently with you know hindsight and and all of that uh, do you feel that more now or
0: is it still- not really? It still feels like that. It still feels like a superhero movie that I enjoy big time. I really, really like it, but, and it, and it still doesn't feel like the start of a trilogy. It just, it, I, I kind of react to it the same way I did at the time.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, the start of the trilogy, I don't really care so much about, about that per se. It just, I remember seeing it in the theater. I think I saw it with you, Joey. Yep. Me and you. Uh, and I remember like walking out and just being really excited about it because it kind of you, I guess at the beginning of every superhero franchise, uh, you get sort of an origin story thing. But it's more just like, oh, like like the 89, 89 Batman. Man, yeah. It's just sort of like everyone is finding out about Batman at the time that you're dropped into the story. But Batman already exists. Um, and even something like X-Men where you, you see the characters kind of discovering their powers and everything. It's still, you know, sort of just, it's very light on that. Whereas, I mean, with Batman Begins, I'm amazed. What is it? It's about an hour into the movie before you get, I'm Batman.
2: I think it's, I th- I was reading, I think it's like an hour and a half before you even, before you see Batman. And, and, and so that's, I mean, and
1: so there's, there's that aspect to it. There's also just like, you're given a whole lot of like explanation of like, how could billionaire Bruce Wayne actually feasibly in somewhat a real world um, pull this off? And, and that was, you know, a really great I, I thought a really great inventive way to do that. Well, too.
0: and absolutely not just physically pull it off or monetarily pull it off, but psychologically pull it mm-hmm. off because commentary has been made after the fact that the Michael Keaton Batman was a lunatic, whereas this Batman, we can see the, yeah. the decision making process of how he became that.
1: What about you, Joe Keir? Uh, What was your uh, reaction seeing that? I mean, did did your reaction change?
2: I I remember, like I said, seeing it with you, I remember the first time. I remember leaving the theater and I was like, oh man, this is going to be great. Like, it's going to go down. And it was... obviously I'd never seen one in theaters before even you know Batman Forever and Batman I
1: think I might have seen Batman and Robin Batman
2: and Robin I never saw no I'll take that back I saw Batman and Robin at the drive-in and yeah not to take us on a diversion but one
0: my parents wouldn't let me see Jurassic Park because they were worried it would scare me Mm -hmm. I didn't see Jurassic Park until much later yeah yeah, my dad's exact words were you wouldn't understand it (laughs) which i mean i don't know what else there is to understand so there's that and then i was jumping on a bed and because
2: i wouldn't stop they wouldn't take me to see batman forever oh man
1: those are those uh, are the worst memories can, where it's like that
2: can, can can we stop and you know pour one out for the uh for the 20 year anniversary of batman forever by the way
1: oh boy um <laughs> only only if we're doing it just for the tommy lee jones and uh jim, and jim carrey. carrey roles because those i i really like those as, as villains in that Universe. In that universe, it works great. Yeah, I'm, I mean, really I still well. use the phrase
0: "joygasm" <laughs> in regular conversations. <laughs> so, if nothing else, it gave, it added
1: that to the culture. But no, I I think so. Entering into watching because I hadn't seen, I don't think I had seen Batman Begins at least since. The Dark Knight Rises had come out.
2: Yeah, it'd been a long time. I, I'd seen bits and pieces of it on, you know, various right, cable right. networks, but sitting down and actually watching it all the way through, mm-hmm. I had probably hadn't seen since 2005-ish.
1: The – wow, really? Yeah. The thing that struck me going back and watching this one, again, with sort of perspective, was uh, how – kind of splintered his time frame is with all of this. Yeah. Like he really kind of chops things up, which I think is something that Nolan got criticism for later on, but it was there in the beginning. And I think it really works here. I yeah. think because he's covering so much ground. And uh so to be able to tell the story of like What happened? Bruce Wayne's actual, you know, what happened to him with his parents and all of that and how he learned all of these skills that allow him to fight crime in this in this ridiculous rubber suit and how he gets, you know, that's that's all handled for the story that's being told. It's handled pretty economically for a movie that's under what? Under two and a half hours.
2: Yeah. Two twenty, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh, I know I'm violating my own rule of we shouldn't talk about we should pretend like we're still in 2005 when talking about this. But. Actually, I think the only movies that were just straight narratives that Christopher Nolan's ever done have been Dark Knight and Interstellar. So Batman Begins is very much a that's, Christopher Nolan movie insofar as the splintered narrative. That's
1: actually not true. I just this week rewatched Insomnia. And, okay, yeah, there you go. An Insomnia. And Insomnia is by far his worst. Like, that's. Like, can we talk about this for a second? Like watching Insomnia because that was the he did he made Memento, then he made Insomnia, which was kind of and his following first. was. And following with yeah. Batman Begins like I can remember. Well, oh no, in, I mean,
0: like following he did that before Memento.
1: Right. But that was yeah. like a like he made that over the course of like a year. You know, that didn't really get mm-hmm. a release. Yeah. He made it. But and it existed. But, yeah. you know, Memento was like his first. I think it, you know, it played Sundance and it was sort of an indie darling. Mm-hmm. Got him a studio job making uh, Insomnia for Warner Brothers, which was a remake of a I think some Scandinavian film. Um, but. I can remember going into uh Batman Begins, not knowing I don't think I had seen Insomnia at the time. Maybe I had. Um but going into it, thinking of him as the Memento guy and thinking like, how is this guy going to pull off? You know, Memento is a great film, but it's a very small sort of like it knew what its limits were in storytelling. And Batman is a big, audacious sort of character. And uh you know, I, I think he really pulled it off. You know, I, I thought so then. I think so maybe even more now. Um, like, really, really did a great job, in my opinion, of laying the groundwork for what became his unique universe. I,
2: I think after watching it the second time uh, just a few weeks ago, it I, it really drilled home the point that I was like, wow, this this was a really, really well done Batman film. Definitely the most complete Batman mm-hmm. film.
1: It's Well, it's very intentional in, you know, you mentioned Hunter James Bond earlier sort of as you know a continuation like uh it to see to me like didn't feel it like walking out of this uh didn't feel like that at all you know it felt like its own original set aside piece and that's kind of what i like about batman in particular is there are so many facets of batman outside of you know just the the motion pictures that are sort of Um, you know, it's, it's a bit of a messy universe. You can, you can sort of pick and choose what you want out of your Batman. For instance, as as you said earlier, Michael Keaton's Batman is kind of a psychopath. Like he kills a lot of people in that movie. Like a lot of people, like it starts out like minute one, basically like you get through the opening credits and there's two bums talking about like how he threw their friend off a rooftop (laughs) and there was blood splattered everywhere. Um, and then, you know, he there's one point where he's at the chemical lab. He there's people all around the Batmobile and he releases a bomb. That's and, right. You know, there's no way they survive. That's, that. the,
2: that's the only Batmobile that has two 50 caliber machine guns mounted to <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. His whole anti-gun thing is clearly <laughs> thrown out. The does, yeah. Doesn't apply to the Batmobile itself. Maybe he just bought it that way. So <laughs> yeah, it, it could
1: have been it could have been used secondhand. Yeah. Uh, but then Nolan's Batman is falls more in the line of like the the animated series Batman who never killed anyone. It was always, it was about justice, but it was, it was about like being the, you know, the face and voice of justice in a very upright sort of way. And
2: I think that's even a line in the, in the film, Batman begins. He's talking to, I guess it would be Liam Neeson's Raz, not Raish. Spoiler Al-Ghal. alert!
1: No, I, I think you mean Ducard. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. I
2: assure you, I'm not Roz Al Ghul. Liam Neeson. Uh, pay pay no
1: attention to this
2: funny uh, this Raz Al Ghul mustache that I yeah. have on. And he he says something to the effect that that's what separates me from the. Uh, From the criminals is the fact that I don't kill. I I, I don't. Yeah, that's where he draws the line. And
0: that's interesting because even the animated series it was still expressionistic. It was still Mm noirish, so it still had that fantasy element. And there was you know characters like Clayface and Man Bat. Whereas this, as you said a second ago, was very much rooted in reality. So on the one hand, it's the most loyal. Of all the Batman films, but then on the other, it's very much telling the story in a completely different way than it had ever been told, which is, of course, mm-hmm. the realism factor. Yeah. OK,
1: so let's I want to jump to the very end real quick and uh, let's kind of jump around in this. The, much like a Christopher Nolan film. That's what we're going to do.
2: We should have started at the end. then. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: so the by the end, he kind of Joey and I were talking about this after watching it. He, he kind of maybe doesn't go back on that, but when he allows Ra's Al Ghul to die, like, there's a certain level, you know, he has the line, like, I don't, uh, I, I'm not gonna kill you, but I don't have to save you. And like, that kind of leads to, you know, him killing him. But I, I feel like that's sort of a, uh, an evolution in his character. Like, he still has those, those rules, but at the same time, like, if Raz Al Ghul wasn't killed, just like he wasn't in the beginning, then You're just going to run into this again. I'm going to
0: say something potentially controversial, but I kind of think it was just lazy writing, lazy (laughs) writing and lazy storytelling because they they had this big set piece of him in the train and Uh they had to justify killing Raw's and also the big explosions. They just had Batman have that line.
1: I, I felt it was earned by by that. You know, he's because he's becoming Batman. He has sort of an idealistic worldview and then as he gets deeper and deeper into it, he starts to experience things that he didn't, you know, foresee running into to begin with. And so uh, obviously his uh, his outlook on it all has to change a little bit and, and morph. How, I mean, however you interpret it, I think that scene
0: kind of it's it's not my criticism of the film at large, but just kind of what I think happens in the film at large is if Batman Begins indicated what kind of world we would see, what kind of world Nolan would create. And then Dark Knight Rises would be just maybe Nolan going too far in that. Mm -hmm. I'd think Dark Knight was the peak wherever it all kind of worked. So I would say that Batman Begins was, like I said, it felt like more of a traditional superhero movie to me, though going in a different direction. It was moving in that direction, but it wasn't there yet. Mm. And so... I would say Mike Batman Begins was ambitious. It was epic, but it was as good a movie as Christopher Nolan could make at that time. He had to make that before he could make Dark Knight.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I I don't want to. I don't want to get so much into Dark Knight and and all of that. Yeah, I'm violating my run, yeah. one
0: rule. I'm like the Michael Keaton Batman. Let's, <laughs>
1: let let's shelve that. <laughs> let's shelve that conversation for later. We'll, we'll we can. Kind yeah, of exactly. This in special features, uh,
0: but it, but anyway, just to like bring it down to earth, that would be my criticism, of Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. and it's again, it's not a criticism. I think that was the movie. That was the only way he could make that movie at that yeah. time. He just wasn't a, that great. Well, and he was that level and of he filmmaker. was not
1: the first person that they went to either mm-hmm, for, no. for this. I mean, there were, there were several before him that I think also added to the like, you know, this this movie made two hundred eight, I think two hundred five, two hundred eight. I mean, this this movie made two hundred five million dollars domestically total and just to put that in perspective the dark knight made 158 million its opening week so like it's and then i can't remember how much i think it was close to half a billion by by all said and told do you know hunter dark knight dark Knight.
0: domestically it's 520 and then
2: internationally yeah okay so another guy just got thrown off the roof by the way (laughs) what another guy just got thrown off the roof oh yeah, yeah yeah and you're violating the rule once again well
1: we're uh Okay. Yeah,
2: I mean, how many people have to die?
1: Okay. We'll shelve it. We'll <laughs> shelve it. Okay. Moving. Let, let's, let's go in a different direction. I have a question for you guys. Um, So watching, watching it again, I had a realization that we were just talking about this. Liam Neeson plays Ducard, um, but spoilers, he's actually Raz al Ghul. Um, Watching this time, I, and you know, maybe it's just because I had seen it and knew But it feels pretty obvious that he's Ra's al Ghul. Um, Did you do you remember Hunter seeing it the first time, whether you were aware of that or not? Honestly, this just goes to show what an airhead
0: I am. I, I, at the end, even at the end, I said so. White, he wasn't just pretending to be Rosalgo. He actually <laughs> okay, was okay. Rosalgo. He didn't just assume the mantle. He was uh-huh. Rosalgo all along. So the first time I saw it, no, it didn't occur to me. It okay. didn't even occur to me after I saw it.
2: <laughs> you know, I, I think I remember leaving the theater, going, "Okay, well then they really pulled one over on me because like I totally bought into you know Ken Watanabe. Yeah, yeah, guy, totally not saying anything, but believe me, I, I assure you, I am." raj al ghul yeah and, and then i also remember being like are you sure like are you sure <laughs> but yeah i remember leaving and being like okay yeah they got me they yeah, got me yeah but then watching it watching it again it's it's it's, it's because it's of, staring you in the face yeah the whole time, yeah it's yeah.
1: it's a it's a guy standing there at the airport with a <laughs> placard that says i am raj <laughs> al ghul like it's just it's the facial hair it's, more than anything and especially because he's the first one you meet like you meet him before you meet kin Watanabe right. as fake Raz al Ghul and so like When when they're standing there in that prison cell It's just like oh yeah of course He is of course he's the evil Guy and being our,
0: being our uh, Batman expert does that offend you That Ducard is Raz al Ghul
2: No there's going to be some artistic liberties Taken in every film so uh, And that to me It feels like something Raz al Ghul would do He would totally mm-hmm. you know try and, and Manipulate you and make you believe that somebody Else was him yeah so no It doesn't really upset me
0: all right. Uh, does it offend you that Batman was trained by Ra's al Ghul as opposed to being trained around the world as he kind of is in the comics? again no I, it
2: works for the film
1: okay. yeah I, I think especially for economy you know it's not a, it's yeah. not a
2: you can't have a mon- it'd be great if there was like a montage set to some 80s music <laughs> I and am like, J- okay some, yeah I'm some, traveling some the world maybe
0: yeah. <laughs> okay I'm, I'm basically just saying how much of a purist you are okay. if, if you're going to be one of those guys you know
1: I, I, Henry de well, that's Ra's al no. you bastards I, I think Joey's a purist in a very like he likes his Batman a specific way I do that's, mm-hmm. that's more his, yeah. his his thing um, so we're talking about Liam Neeson as as Ra's al Gul. let's I one of the things that I was really struck by, I mean, I was struck by it initially, but now with hindsight, even like I think uh, Christopher Nolan, one of his greatest gifts and just like on screen prowess is his ability to cast people who just look exactly like they need to look for the character. And, you know, I think one of the examples of that is a Judge Faden. The uh, the judge who kind of they're all they're interacting with. Uh, you you first meet him in the courtroom, and you know even then that he's probably an evil guy, yeah. like, or he's got you know he's got that Gotham darkness of like he's he's taking little cash in his pocket, um and and he does that he does that throughout uh you know throughout the the trilogy and and throughout all of his films is really like just picking people who you see their face and it really matches. What they are, you know, supposed to represent before they even speak a word
2: uh, on that same train. And the fact that we've gone almost 12 minutes and not talked about the scarecrow mm-hmm. Cillian Murphy as the scarecrow is I mean, that's spot on.
1: Yeah. And, you know, when initially seeing it, I, I wasn't really I wasn't re- really sure about him. He, you know, he felt a little weird. Yeah. But he's perfect for like you, you would believe that, you know, it's a little bit Haydn comic booky, but you would you would believe that that character would. Yeah. Well, would, and
0: what's fascinating about that casting is he was actually in, I'd say, the top five for the Batman role. Really?
1: Yeah, yeah he was in. So had, he, made, he, no made it the, yeah. he made it to the
0: last round. So to your point about casting people who look right for a role. Christopher Nolan in all of his films, uh, even going back to Insomnia, he casts movie stars mm-hmm. and he his cast is filled with movie stars. And so when I first saw the Batman Begins cast, I almost thought it was too much. Like I thought Michael Caine's probably too big of a movie star to play Alfred. In this movie, it works perfectly. Mm-hmm. Not to, you know, look into the future here, but in Interstellar, I thought it was a bit overwhelming. But in here, I think it works. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe let's we can talk about some of the people who played the uh, essential parts. So I guess start with Michael Caine is Alfred. Did
1: that work for y'all? We were talking about this uh, when we watched it and maybe the best on screen Alfred, honestly, like with like just hitting the right. The it right was notes. it was
2: the way he was written. I feel like they it's a two hour and 20 minute movie. And you're right. Talking to the point of just so many people in one movie. But I feel like they wrote Michael Caine's Alfred, you know, specifically for him. And it was one of those things like. He had just the perfect amount of on screen time. Like they, they, they gave him, you felt for him, they gave him. Kind of a backstory, you know. They, sh- they. I think they even flashback at some points, and it's you know Alfred, yeah, you know, taking care of,
1: of uh, Bruce and young Bruce. Uh, you know, talking, praising the casting. Young Bruce doesn't do much for me. He's kind <laughs> of awful,
2: um but he's not in the movie. It doesn't matter. He's no, not in the movie he's that, he's that much. But at I least don't. they didn't cast zach Efron or something. <laughs> like that. But I think I, I think that they do a really good job of writing Michael Caine's, giving him giving him the proper amount of time because. In the comic books, he plays a really big role. I mean, he's always he's kind of the foil for Batman in, the, in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, you know, and they, they, well,
1: because can, Batman's such a solitary character. Right, so right. he needs yeah. that. You
2: can't have of. you can't have a Batman without an Alfred. And I feel like yeah. the other films were like, oh, yeah. And here's this guy.
0: He's going to play Alfred in every film. And see, I actually disagree. I really liked I believe is Michael Goff. I really liked him. And so that was where my head was in do 2005 you, was he shouldn't Alfred shouldn't be a movie star.
2: Do you like him? Oh, OK. I was going to ask, do you like him? Michael, what was his name? Michael Goff. Do you like Michael Goff because he just looks like how Alfred Exactly,
0: and he was also in a film in the 1960s called Conga, <laughs> which was a <laughs> British rip off of King Kong. FYI, that's not my rad recommendation today, but if you're interested. But uh, no, I agree with you all. Absolutely. Michael Caine, he, uh, I, I adore that man. And he also gave us the reading of You Can Ball to Roach if You Won't Just Bring It Back with a Full Tank. <laughs> there so <there's,
1: laughs> He does. He has a lot of good one-liners without it being just totally over the top, campy, yeah. which you know, yeah. Alfred is. You know, that's what he does. Yeah. Uh, well, and I think it was. His role.
0: I think it was also smart casting a very Cockney actor to mm-hmm. play a butler because you know Cockney being sorry to offend anyone being slightly lower class that that's how he yeah. would make his living as being a butler to a rich family
1: what about katie holmes in in her role as rachel dawes what did who wants what, to go first here
2: i <sighs> mean aren't you just tossing up a softball i mean yeah we
0: uh he had just done insomnia and even though she's probably too big of a movie star i would have preferred hillary swank to just play this character throughout i i do feel that katie holmes actually this is kind of funny in an interview with michael Caine, she was sitting right there they asked so why are, why what's the point of the rachel dawes character and he said to market (laughs) (laughs) and she said michael i'm sitting right here but i do think that that's what it's about is she was uh at the peak of her popularity which you know wasn't particularly high but still at the peak it was post Dawson's creek she was a wb star Mm -hmm. and so they just wanted to get her in their new batman franchise i mean
1: i i just she doesn't she she, the, the character is written in a way that it feels like the wrong person is is saying these, like, I just but never they wrote her. it
2: specifically for her. Know, is it's scary so part. weird. It's I just, just never believe her. Yeah. It's it. That's there's you know, always, you always have to have, you know, the, the woman in every Batman film, there's the woman right. and she is the woman. And
0: well, and it is kind of odd that the one character they created for this, that wasn't in the comics is Rachel Dawes. <laughs> so I, I, I guess we don't want to talk anymore about Katie Holmes. There's just so, not much to say. Yeah, exactly. However, one person in which there is a whole lot to say, and I think is the quintessential person in this character is Gary Oldman is uh, oh, Jim yeah. Gordon. Yeah. He even looks like him,
1: which, you know, I I wouldn't have thought. My growing up as a child of the 90s, like, had such an affinity for the animated series, Gordon, that, like, going in, I felt like, oh, he's a little too young. He's a little too – I think he really – Well, it's because really he's
2: not commissioner yet. He's – Right. You know, he I right. mean, I think, at that but point. But
1: even, like, com- putting him up against um, – the Batman year one, Gordon, like, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't exactly match that either, right. which I, I think was actually a large source material yeah, for th- this.
2: He read uh, that. And I think there were a couple other that he cited as comic books that he had but, really yeah. drawn. But Gordon,
1: I mean, Oldman knocks out of the park.
0: Yeah. And in, in hindsight, uh, you know, I, I was foolish to ever doubt it, because for my money, I would say that Gary Oldman's probably one of the greatest living actors so he can do anything, and yeah. he was absolutely perfect in this. And true story, I believe the other people in the running were Kurt Russell and Dennis Quaid, mm. and they wouldn't have been quintessential Gordons; they would have been would've, themselves. Yeah. <laughs>
1: would have been better if it was Randy Quaid.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Only for a, a '66 reboot. That's that's the Commissioner Gordon I want.
1: It would have taken the heat off of uh,
0: Katie Holmes a little bit. <laughs> And then we already talked about him just as or talk, as the character, but what about Liam Neeson in the role? How about Liam? How do we think he did?
1: Uh, I think he pulls it off. He's adequate. It's not like a runaway sort of, but it's also it's that's what it needs to be for the movie. Yeah. Well, and it's also what it needs to be for the character. Kind of. He exists in the shadows and he's, yeah. you know, so I I think he does a good job.
0: Even though I, he's not that big of a star and he won't be that well remembered, but I have a theory that Liam Neeson's kind of the John Wayne of this generation. In that he's just he's playing himself and he plays himself so well that it appeals to hey people.
1: Man, George Costanza, Liam Neeson's uh, LeBaron. No, 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 no.
2: It was not Liam Neeson. It was uh, Angelina Jolie's dad. Uh, oh, John Voight. John Voight. What is the Liam Neeson? Isn't there a
0: Liam Neeson? Uh... There's so much pop culture uh, uh, chaos going on right now. But so in in many ways, and this has more to do with Taken, the Taken series and those movies, is he's playing the <laughs> same type of character, much like John Wayne playing the same type of cowboy. And so he's playing the quintessential male role model for guys hmm. thirty, forty, and fifty and above. Okay. And in the process, he's appealing to all demographics. He's kind of like the dad we all want, just badass, which is what John Wayne was. Okay,
1: that's I guess I could. And see Harrison that. I that. I mean, Ford was. I, I think you are was yeah. Um, I, I think you're kind of putting him in a box a little bit, though. I mean, because he's done so much prior to well, that. Intre- Well, the thing is, is in the '90s he
0: was an actor, and and you know, but Captain and then a he became a- yeah, actor. exactly. And then he became more of a movie star. And uh-huh. so in this, it, in Batman Begins, it's he's playing Qui Gon in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring up Qui-Gon. No, I mean, I think Qui-Gon was fine. The movie's awful, but I think Qui-Gon's fine. Yeah, yeah.
2: Qui-Gon, he's gon playing. character
0: has nothing to do. He was playing insert mentor here, and then I think a couple years later he was Aslan in Chronicles of Narnia. So there was a yeah. time where I think Liam Neeson, he just... To say phoning it in makes it sound lazy, but he's just he his was, voice and casting pers- him for that. that yeah, his role. his voice persona just so much. So, yeah. Speaking of voices, what about Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox? <laughs> that was another one that uh, it seemed like too big of a movie star. But I mean, he's he again, he's much like Liam
1: Neeson. He's. I, he's I, doing his thing. I think he's perfect for this role. Like, I can't imagine someone else pulling off Lucius Fox the way that he does. I like, think Florence Fishburne was in the running. Uh, and
2: I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think he'd be as good as Morgan Freeman. Uh, he
1: just, he brings the right gravitas to it. He like really.
2: It's Morgan Freeman. He's never going to be. Well, actually, what what did we, I said, this is, is this Morgan Freeman's last good it, role? It might
1: be. Like, I didn't go back and look, but I mean, he was doing like the bucket list and, and stuff. Like, I mean, it's. It's a great role for him, and it's not. It's not. I feel like he's cast a lot of times because he's now known as the as the guy the with that voice, yeah. and so it's this tongue in cheek sort of thing where it's almost Morgan Freeman making a cameo, not Morgan Freeman playing a exactly. character. Exactly. Um, and I'm going to get ready to throw potentially
0: a a pipe bomb of controversy in here, but it, I like him as Lucius Fox, but Lucius Fox seems more like the generous wise professor than he does CEO of a multi-billion dollar organization. And so that would be my one criticism is he's a perfect mentor to Bruce Wayne, but is I, I'm having a little trouble buying him, he wore a bow tie. What CEO of a multi-billion dollar arms manufacturer wears a bow tie and
1: tweed. He wore tweed. That's, too. That's fair. I think I, I'm, I'm just going to argue that he has the uh, team behind him to he, he successfully hired, pull it off. Like
0: Roger Howard. For instance, Rutger Howard, who
1: I did not realize was Rutger Howard until I mean, he's another one who, like, really just perfectly cast as you see his face. And you're like, oh, yeah, that that dude's <laughs> up to no
0: good in anything. Yeah.
1: Except whenever he was playing a blind swordsman. And what was that film? Oh, <laughs> OK. Well, you no didn't you share
0: a poster with me of Rutger Howard playing a blind
1: swordsman in the 80s. Oh, yeah. A I blind can't, swordsman. Yeah. I OK. I'm Tochi, but. I, I, yeah. But the, the American, I completely forgot about this. I he's think, homeless too. He's a hobo. Uh, no, that's hobo with a shotgun. Okay, oh, wait, he might be. I don't know. <laughs> I, I will, I will work this all out and put uh, links in the show notes. If I figure out what the hell we're talking about.
0: But however, we didn't talk about the biggie here. The biggie of course being Christian Bale. How do we feel about that? Um Both the casting and then him in the movie.
2: I, I loved him. I think he's the most complete Bruce Wayne and Batman. Like. I think Val Kilmer does a really good job of playing Bruce Wayne. Huh. And
1: then that's, you know, that's, that's interesting. Like, because Val Kilmer, he, he focuses more on the darkness. Yeah. But then it's just when,
2: when you hear someone, like if someone were to describe Bruce Wayne to you, Uh I think, I think Val Kilmer, square jaw, very just, you know, a man's man looking mm-hmm. kind of guy. Ice man. Um,
0: Val Kilmer, I would say, is probably, and again, this may be controversial, but if you've seen Tombstone and you've seen uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I would say Val Kilmer is probably the best actor to ever play the role, but he wasn't the best Batman, and apparently he's a pain in the ass to work with.
2: That's what I've heard as well.
0: Yeah. Hmm. True story. So, um, whenever Christian Bale was announced, I think I knew the name, but I didn't have a face. He had been in Reign of Fire. And I think I'd seen Rain of Fire, but he would he was just overwhelmed by dragons because, because and, there were dragons, though, dragons that? and bald Matthew McConaughey. I mean, you cannot compete with that. And I hadn't seen American Psycho. I had heard of it. And mm-hmm. I think I saw it afterwards. But before Batman begins. Yeah um, after he was announced. And so that at that point I became a Christian Bale fan. Cause I thought this is just incredible.
1: No, I, I think he knocks it out of the park. I mean, just his physicality is right for Bruce Wayne. Yep. Um, kind of closer to once again, to go back to the animated series closer to like sort of that, that build of a man and that, that sort of thing. I also think to, you know, compare him to Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne. Um, it, they, they both do very interesting things like, and I love Michael Keaton as, as Bruce Wayne, as Batman, but really, if you want to get down to the nitty gritty of like who did Bruce Wayne and Batman better, I really think it's Bale. Like I love Keaton, but I think Bale does something, and it's it's partially about the script and all that as well, and and Nolan's version of him. They're both doing this thing where they are kind of masking who they you know really are, and they're putting up throwing a, fa- a facade, but. Keaton's is sort of oddly goofy and screwball and uh, a little bit psychotic and and a little bit insane. Whereas Bales is like, he's actually a fairly well adjusted. Like he, he has all of his emotions in control and because of that is able to throw up the billionaire playboy facade and, and all of that. And actually like, I mean, that's, that's the one thing where like the dynamic between him and Rachel Dawes works for me because there is this, uh this play with you know he can't show him who he really is because ultimately it, it gets in the way
2: yeah and this is a question i wanted to ask you guys do you think that's a, a product of of the script do you think that you know actually i would like to talk
0: about the script here in a second because I, I think this that'll this is gonna be a long out. one guys yeah, yeah. exactly but
2: do, uh well but, I, i'm just saying like do you think that you know when they were writing for Michael Keaton's Batman, do you think they wanted him to, to focus more on the, I
1: mean, I think it partially fits the sensibility of someone like Tim Burton. Yeah. Um, I think it also just fits the sensibility of what an action movie was in the eighties. Yeah. There's you know a lot of that eighties senseless eighties violence of it's just like, you know, the, the body count rises and there's never explosions. Any, yeah. explosions, there's never any blood. And not to say that we don't get that now, but, um, I, I feel like, Things kind of shifted in, in, you know, the early two thousands where it became a little more like there was a little more awareness in, in in certain avenues. And I think violence was more consequential. It wasn't just
0: egregious video game violence, ironically becoming post video games. Okay. So we like Bale We like all the actors. I think most part, this has been positive.
2: What did we not like about Batman begins? Uh, the movie, I, I love the movie. Batman begins. I'll save the rest for when it's the free for all. The one the one thing that I I really have a problem with. Have, have you all do you ever watch the How It Should Have Ended YouTube series? Hmm. Yeah. Okay, have you not seen them, Hunter? I haven't, no. Some of them are pretty good. But yeah. the one for Batman Begins is, you know, he they they get on the train, the monorail, they're headed towards uh, Wayne Tower, and, you know, all Batman has to do is turn the button off on the microwave emitter, and that they, that, that ends the movie. And I think the line is something like, well, it came from my, my factory, why wouldn't I know how to turn it off? Right. Yeah. And it's just one <laughs> of those things, it's like we were talking about earlier, where, you know, you thought it was just kind of the... They, they built the plot. The train. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You had to put something there it was lazy writing. I agree. I think it was just kind of a.
0: And to that point, Christopher Nolan is probably the best at being able to make you suspend your disbelief because you're so wrapped up in what's going on. My problem with uh, this movie, and it happens in a lot of Christopher Nolan's movies, is the dialogue is very expositioning and it can be very wooden. For instance, whenever he's in the plane coming back from Asia and he's talking
1: to Alfred... People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol... As a symbol, I can be incorruptible. I can be everlasting.
2: What symbol? Something
1: elemental, something terrifying.
2: I assume that as you're taking on the underworld, this symbol is a persona to protect those you care about from reprisals. Are you thinking about Rachel. Actually, I was thinking of
0: myself. He he practically says, I need to be something that people fear, so I'm going to become bats because bat I fear bats. Bats 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 petrify me. And a lot of that stuff can be understood. And even an actor as good as Christian Bale, it feels really forced and false.
2: I I think I I think Chris and I were talking about this when we watched the film again, but it's definitely the whole fear theme is thrown at you real thick. And some of it you you need you need them to say, hey, here's here's the theme. But you're right. A lot of it. You can just be like, oh, so they're going to focus on, you know, scary things. Yeah. But
1: I I think even compared to other movies, you know, of of the time, like or, or superhero movies in general. I still think they're a little more egregious with the exposition than than this is like
0: oh yeah that that's absolutely fair, but.
1: but you know comparing it to its peers i I think it does that that doesn't bother me too much, and I'm a guy who is often bothered by you know the exposition of not not hunting, it's killing it's killing yes exactly you know. so then what did bother you, if anything? Um, You know, one thing and this is really nitpicky, but I couldn't get it out of my mind watching it this time. They spend because I think because they spend so much time in the beginning with him training with Roz and, you know, learning Oh, this is jujitsu. This is this. There's all these like diversion tactics, you know, the uh, throwing the smoke. The of, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he doesn't other than having the bat suit, he doesn't really use any of that. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't pay off for his, you know, who Batman becomes. Uh, which maybe it would be a little too corny, but I think like the diversion, I mean, the closest thing to a diversion tactic he has is the little sonar bat thing it, in his Batman. Which
2: actually
0: was it, really it, cool and I believe came from year one. Batman year one, the comic. Yeah. Okay.
1: I don't remember anyway. Um, but that's, you know, that, that did kind of bug me a little bit because if you're not going to use it, why go into that detail?
0: Well, and what you just suggested translates and nicely into my big problem. Then, now, always is the fight scenes were abysmal. The what Christopher hmm. Nolan wanted to do was to create the impression of what it's like to be in a fight with Batman. You can't see anything, fists are flying, et cetera. Et cetera. That made sense for the docs, but whenever you've got a scene where Batman is fighting five ninjas and you can't see anything, that's a problem.
1: There, I, I think there are places where it's problematic. You're, you're right, but. Uh, I, I do think Nolan gets a little too much, uh, criticism for that in like,
2: well, that's the only film that they do it in. Like if you watch the next two, there's no more of that, like, I guess cutscene cut scene fighting or I don't well, know how you'd really it, want to describe and it. And but I
0: halfway feel like that's someone just taking him to the side and saying, dude, I know this is your hey, movie, man, but pull the camera breaks. back.
1: Yeah. But, but also, I mean, that's, that's one of the, that's probably the place where it's the most egregious. And I would argue as, you know, as an editor, I would argue maybe, maybe it is, you know, cutting some corners in. Um, in the way that they shot it. But it's also there is this confusion of where is he? Who is who is he? Who is yeah. who? Oh, wow. and so it it also is immersive in that.
0: Oh, no, absolutely. And it was completely purposeful. I don't think it was lazy or, or they're right. uh, cutting corners. I think it was him wanting to, like I said, create that impression. But me as a moviegoer wants to see Batman fighting ninjas. <laughs> but and I don't I don't, but think, it, that's but I don't think that's it's,
1: unreasonable. I don't think that's unreasonable. just because it's ninjas and you want to you want to because he doesn't like he doesn't. Go to that throughout. You know, there's, there's fights later on that aren't as, yeah. aren't as normal. Or, uh, you know, when he's fighting Roz on the, on the ice, um, you get a little bit of that, but it's also this montage without being a montage, you know, where they're jumping <laughs> yeah. between three or four timelines, which I thought was handled really well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, you, you don't have to have your, your 80s anthem pumping. You just sort of have, have your Hans Zimmer. Which I think people really criticize later on is like, oh, well, it just feels like you're building to a climax. It doesn't happen, um, but it it really like helps tie all of these things that really shouldn't fit together helps tie them together well. The for, score, for the me. editing, or both all all of them can combined really really works to like I like I said earlier, economically tell all of those things at once. Um, without getting too overwrought with long exposition of, okay, well, here's the scene where he lost his parents and here's, you know, it's just all intertwined. No.
0: Yeah. I, no, I think it's one of those things. I think it's a very economically made movie. I think it's a very good movie. I just Christopher Nolan, having just been an indie guy, I think that he was trying he was trying to get too creative and too cute with the way he filmed fight scenes later on. And I suspect in the later films, he realized that, you know, people do want to see Batman fight whenever the, you go see a Batman movie.
2: One of the gripes that I had, uh, and it's it's more of the overall series than it is this film, but it's the the whole world's greatest detective and how he's definitely not the world's yeah. greatest detective in these films. That's
0: fair, yeah. We still haven't seen a Batman as a great detective yeah. film.
1: Uh, I, I think Keaton does more of that. And <sighs> we let's... Uh, I I don't know he he does he certainly does you're uh, you're also mad Joey that he doesn't have a T Rex in his bat cave. or a giant penny or a giant, or a giant penny, penny. Uh, but or a Keaton, piece of kryptonite that. that's true he does true. that a little bit in you know in in eighty nine Batman yeah. he's got his he, whole you
2: know when, the, at least he, he has a bat computer
1: he yeah and he figures out you know the uh what, what the talk what joker's are, talk yeah. it, it doesn't maybe it doesn't show you as much of his right. like mm, sitting in <laughs> yeah. front of it
0: being batman begins i think what christopher nolan wanted to do even with the casting of christian bale is make him more vulnerable mm-hmm. and so this is probably the most vulnerable batman we've ever seen well, And
2: and chris told me this last week when he was like you know batman begins he's not supposed to be the world's greatest detective because it's batman begins like he hasn't yeah. developed
0: and exactly. And since I thought this was the first of a potentially infinite series, I thought we would eventually see him yeah. become mm-hmm. a great detective. So it didn't bother me here, but I see your point. And so now I just realized that as a self-contained organism, the Dark Knight trilogy, he was just always vulnerable more so yeah. than other
1: films. Well, and and that's ultimately he's not he's not almost not capital B Batman. He's you know, he <laughs> he's he's just a guy who he's going through a Batman phase. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's ways. true. No, it's, now it's that you,
0: he's, is that yeah, what it is? exactly. This entire series is about uh, how, how to come come through some kind of psychological trauma, and he just does it in a very elaborate way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's fair. <laughs> okay, um, Bruce Wayne cures his psychological trauma by becoming Batman. Chris, you cure it with booze. <laughs> so, I don't know if that's <laughs>
1: <fair>. <laughs>
0: lower p, lower p, lowercase p, psychological trauma. Um, <laughs> so, if I were to watch Batman Begins, what type of booze should I imbibe?
1: Okay, um, I've got one here. I actually kind of selected this pick with Batman Begins for two reasons. Uh, the first one being that just uh, looking through what I've recommended, I'm kind of embarrassed that it's taken 13 episodes to recommend something from this brewery, which I really enjoy um, pretty much everything they put out. And two, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to make a recommendation for a beer that was so aptly named for a discussion about the Cape Crusader. It is Cromudgeon old ale, and it's from Founders Brewing Company in Grand Rapids, Michigan. As the name suggests, it's an old ale, which uh, isn't exactly a style of straightforward guidelines. Uh, but in this case, it means that it's high point. It's slightly sweet, uh, malt forward and a brown ale. Really, really delicious stuff. Uh, they brew it with molasses, which gives it that added sweetness. And then they age it in oak barrels, which gives it a bit of a boozy bite at the end. Um, I find that I like this beer even more when it's a little warm. Uh so typically the last sip is the best sip. Uh, Cremudgeon is a specialty release from Founders, which means they only release it between uh, certain months. And that's April and June. So we're just past that cutoff point. But uh, I've seen it on shelves as recently as last week. So if you hurry, you might still be able to grab some. Pick them up in a four pack and have your very own 10th anniversary Batman Begins retrospective. Or better yet, enjoy them while marathoning the four films from the 80s and 90s. Uh, see, if I were you, you should actually drink something much, much stronger for all of Joel Schumacher's quote contributions to this series. That's a good point. Maybe you could save all four for Joel Schumacher's, you know, teetotal through the Michael Keaton ones and then really hit it strong once Batman forever, forever starts. Or you might even save them all for Batman, Batman and Robin. I don't know. But regardless of the Batman movie you're watching, do it drinking curmudgeon old ale by Founders Brewing Company. Batman Begins is currently on your bookshelf right now.
0: And if it's not, it's because you're an idiot and loaned it to your freshman roommate. In which case, it's in his DVD collection somewhere between The Mighty Ducks 2, Fight Club, and A Clockwork Orange.
1: Man, that bastard never alphabetized anything. No, he didn't. Or you can rent
0: it on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and virtually everywhere else, too. Or go home and turn on TNT. It's probably playing there, as well. If you've given Batman Begins a revisit, tell us your thoughts at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com.
1: Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear your gravelly voice. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. Stick around. We'll be back after the break to discuss the caped crusader in cinema. Plus, find out what happens when Hunter attempts to bypass a burden brought about by a box office bound beer bet. Folks, as you can see here, I have actually welded together a giant rusty wheel filled with potential punishments for you, Hunter.
0: Yes, you certainly did. That's very elaborate. It took a lot of time. You know, I I admire the the commitment.
1: Well, let's just hope that my engineering is good enough for it to actually work we'll find out
0: if it doesn't do i have to not face the punishments like if it gets stuck
1: yeah i think maybe you have to just do them all really okay well like if it lands on a line then let's just hope it works okay so uh here here are the there were 10 punishments in uh beyond thunderdome so i've i've come up with 10 here uh and some of them stolen from beyond thunderdome because i got lazy so the first one is actually one of my favorites and I, i have to give credit to jake for this uh it is a five minute on air review of aloha
0: now. Okay. And I saw that. Can we qualify that as being waterboarded? since it's, it's in Hawaii and you're bored.
1: So water, that would be waterboarding, correct? <laughs> that will be a brand new segment. <laughs> War starts at midnight. Waterboarding. Okay. Uh, the second one is consuming Funyuns cereal. All right. I do that anyway. Okay, good. Um, third is acquittal. Stole that from Thunderdome. Um, Fourth is my choice, so of all these, I get to pick what I what I want you to do. Uh, fifth is spin again, as it should be. I don't see uh, collect two hundred
0: dollars anywhere on here. By the way,
1: no, is this not it, based it, on Monopoly? It, it is not based on Monopoly. It's uh, it's sort of um you know, maybe based on wheel of fortune a little bit, we've got, we've got some bankruptcy that I'm not going to go over minus the
2: fortune. Yeah. yeah. What you can't see is the dress I'm wearing
1: right now. This is true. It's, it's glittering and spectacular. Really your hair, I think is even better than the
2: dress. The wig came out, which is my true punishment actually. (laughs) So I'm,
1: (laughs) yeah, he had, he had to make the wig by hand. (laughs) Okay. Then, then we get to, we review Mr. Holmes. So I didn't want this to be all terrible things. This is the one that's in between the two slivers of bankruptcy. Um, but if, uh, if you get that one, then we actually review Mr. Holmes on the show, which was a part of our original bet that if I won, we didn't have to. All right. Um, then there's a write up of the DOS boot director's cut. I'm not going to be a total jerk and make you watch the entire five and a half hour miniseries, but the director's cut will do. And that would be in the midweek memo. So a write up there. Um, then we've got double summer shandy.
0: Which very well could kill me. Now, am I supposed to do them both at once, like a beer helmet or one after the I, other? I would,
1: I would prefer one after the other, just for the sake of my, my rug and my couch. Because that's instant diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Instant diabetes, that's the thing. Okay, then we've got Listener's Choice
0: Karaoke. Don't we have to have listeners for that, is the thing? Hey, we've got a couple. We have enough, and they're sadists. So, yeah. oh, so, yeah.
1: so if, if we get that one, then we're just going to pull listeners for... Writing in what they want you to sing and then you, much like Jake's Mad Max, uh, do not forsake me, oh my darling. You have to do that. All right. And then finally, we've got and I'm not sure if this is a punishment or actually one that you would enjoy. I, I have a feeling it's something that you would actually enjoy. It's a short essay written in the form of clickbait about the five ways Godzilla King of the Monsters is better than Gojira, the original Japanese Godzilla movie.
0: I think I'd actually prefer that over acquittal. So, well, yeah. So let's uh, let's spin this rusty device of death you have here.
2: All right, let me let me slip on these gloves. Actually, here. guys, can I just as as the guest, can I make a suggestion? Uh, are you adding an eleventh punishment? Oh no, <laughs> no 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 no. Your punishments are fine. Uh, I I kind of like seeing him sweat. You think we can push this off a little bit?
1: Yeah, I guess so. I guess we let's we could go into special features and and push it off a little. As long as we got to keep an arm guard at the door to make sure he doesn't escape.
0: Yeah, I was wondering what that was about.
1: Yeah, well, you, you can never be too cautious.
0: Well, yeah, it's one of those things. I come in here on a Saturday morning when we're recording this. You've got one guy in a dress and then another guy guarding the door and then a giant rusty wheel. Just a normal Saturday for Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> and evidently for Chris Gallagher. Well, yeah. Okay, so how about you tell us about special
1: features? What are, we, what are we talking about today?
0: All right. Ten years ago, Batman Begins came out and in many ways changed the entire filmmaking spectrum. And it did so in a very subtle way. Before Batman Begins, there were remakes and prequels and sequels. Post-Batman Begins, the reboot. The reboot differentiated itself from all of the above by being unrelated to a previous series and being essentially a get-out-of-jail-free card, starting over, a clean slate as you were. So, in today's special features discussion, we are going to talk about... Both the reboot culture that we've been in in the past 10 years, and then also on a larger scale, Batman in cinema. So, much like a Christopher Nolan movie, and much like our review, this is going to be all over the place. So, uh, the buckle like up, it. buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. So, I will start, uh, I will just throw this out there. And in this, we can violate our original rule by talking about The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. We can throw as many guys off the ledge as we want. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's no longer murder. So uh, I'll just throw this out there. How do you guys feel about reboots in general? Do you like them, dislike them, or are you benign about them?
2: You want to go first, Joe? (sighs) I guess it just depends on the reboot. Um, the Batman reboot was, was well-deserved, I think, after what was the travesty of Batman and Robin. You definitely needed someone going, no, 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 no. Pretend that didn't happen. Here's a fresh yeah. slate. We're just going to start over.
1: Yeah. and And I think that's maybe the thing is... There there has been a trend of just like, oh, well, that was successful. So let's follow that formula when it's that's not really, you know, it wasn't a formula per se. Like that wasn't the point. The point was, how do we best tell this story about Batman?
2: How do you cleanse the palate?
1: Yeah. And and I think Nolan did it in a very great inventive sort of way. Uh And and so I think, yeah, for me, it's also a case by case basis where if it works, um, then great. Like uh, the Man of Steel was one where. Honestly, I, I thought you could do some interesting things with making that a little bit darker and they didn't do anything. They just said, OK, well, it's going to be a muted palette and uh, Papa Kent is going to maybe advocate murder in some scenarios. And uh, that's that's about it. It just like phone in the rest.
0: Well, yeah, Man of Steel. We, we could talk all day about uh, what was wrong with that. Um, to, But to kind of stick with the, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy for now, I think that. Christopher Nolan is the only person who could have introduced the reboot. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is you touched on this in your opening intro was that there was no references to past films. There's no, there's none of that. There's no scene at the end of the credits. Christopher Nolan, more so than I think any other work, director working today, is absolutely isolated in the one movie he's making. Mm -hmm. Even if he knows it's part of a franchise as as in Batman, he is so focused on that that he can't even consider movies coming before or after. So in that regard, he was the perfect... Instigator of reboots? Mm-hmm. Do we do we agree? Disagree? I I think that's right. Um, I, w- I would just go so far as to say no one else probably could have of the current crop of directors because everyone else would have tried to do a wink at the audience, whereas yeah, Christopher
1: Nolan wouldn't. Off the top of my head, I, I think that's a good point. Off the top of my head, I can't think of someone who who I think would have been you know a great um on the, honestly maybe the, the only person that I could come up with straight up was maybe someone like Ryan Johnson um who's actually directing not not the next Star Wars movie but the one after. Um, I think he has a sensibility. I mean, with something like his first film brick, he was creating a noir film, which is, you know, very much a genre and it, um, that's, that's been, you know, tried a thousand times and rebooted a few times and and that sort of thing and, uh, understood the rules of, you know, the film that he was making, but also wasn't bound to, okay, well, I also have to make a reference to, and, and all that. I mean, he's maybe the only one that I can think of off the top of my head that, they could do it. But no, I think you're right. Nolan Nolan was the right man for the job, absolutely.
0: Well, and also we have to consider just where the Batman franchise was in two thousand five, as you uh, said a second ago, Joker, is that we had, it was we were seven years removed, eight years removed from Batman and Robin, which was of course a, a nightmare for many of us. And in the intervening decade, they had tried to launch the series with the other directors, among them Darren Aronofsky. Which and- would have been weird well if you've ever read the treatment of bat not the whole script but just what it was about of batman year one alfred was a old black car mechanic who assembled a batmobile in his car shop and bruce wayne was a rich kid who went and lived in his basement to become batman that gives you some idea okay. of the warner brothers solution was just to completely abandon mm-hmm. all credibility with bat fans which was the problem in the first place whereas with batman begins they kind of reestablished it But via Christopher Nolan's vision.
2: How do you feel about that, Joe? I think I would have probably blown some things up. I I would be on the FBI's most wanted list had that come out.
0: Well, and I think that's a good point to make is just and as with Man of Steel is just because something's dark doesn't mean it's more credible. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a mistake that Warner Brothers is still making. And it's just going to get worse and worse is post Batman Begins and then post Dark Knight especially they they're just going full on the on the dark scale in yeah. many ways to compete against marvel but making characters who are not dark dark just <laughs> <Like> thinking aquaman <laughs> exactly and 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 yeah, thinking that that thinking that that would work and yeah. you know i guess it remains to be seen with batman versus superman but again to focus on uh, to focus on the dark knight trilogy and we have our bat purist here what parts of the trilogy overall offended you as a batman purist You know, I think
2: most of my gripe lies with with The Dark Knight Rises.
0: As a film or as a purist?
2: As a purist. All uh, right. Chris and I have gone on at length the difference between the purist and the film aspects, but Batman never leaves Gotham. Batman doesn't run off to Paris with Catwoman. And if you're going to... Allegedly. Allegedly. And and if you're going to, you know, argue that no Joker's... Or I'm sorry. If you're going to argue that no Robin isn't in the film... Don't do that to me at the end. Oh, your name's Robin. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. I, it just—I had a really big problem with well, those three things. And
0: actually, now that you mentioned it, even though at the time I, you know, I kind of got goosebumpy and geeky about it, that's whenever Christopher Nolan violated his rule and started mm. winking at the
1: audience. Yeah, and you know, this this might be an unpopular opinion because I think people thought that Dark Knight Rises was a little too long and a little too convoluted and everything. I think you could have solved a lot of problems by turning it into two movies, Joey's laughing and nodding his head right now. I've, I've talked ad nauseum about this with him, but you know, if you think about the structure of that, uh, of that film, he's packing a lot in. And we were talking about the way he kind of moves between time and condenses and expands it in, uh, in Batman begins. He does it on steroids in the dark Knight rises. And I think there could have been just, there's so much potential for two movies when generally I think it's a cash grab to, you know, extend, you know, the third movie becomes two movies, part one and two. Or but in I, the
0: case of a Hobbit, the shortest book becomes three. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, sorry. Yeah. version. Um,
1: <laughs> but in this case, I think it would have really worked for the story they were trying to tell, because think about if so. You basically if you make part one, let's call it part one um, all about it's it's basically the. Dark Knight Returns, Batman, you know, he's beaten up. He's, and, and this is what, you know, like maybe what Joey doesn't like about, um, about this version of Batman is he's not in perpetuity Batman, but there's actually a toll taken on his body that, you know, if, if a guy was to attempt this, then this is where you would end up. And so, because in the beginning of the Dark Knight Rises, um, you know, he is old and crippled and, and sort of that uh, curmudgeoning. I don't think I really have a problem with that as much, but if, if you could have made that sort of the main story of part one and he builds his way back up, maybe he doesn't just get bionic knee brace and move on. Like it, it, you know, you could have actually being able to expand that first half into its own movie. You could have maybe given a little more time to that. Um, but then end it with the back break. Yeah, um, and then I mean, just imagine audiences' reactions leaving the movie with that. It's all up in the yeah. Air. I do a dark night falls and then a dark night rises, kind of one-two punch, exactly. Mm. And then and and then so you start with him down in that pit, which I think is one of the most problematic things. Uh, like from that point forward, like the way time is working, and there's there's so many weird. And
2: apparently, all it takes to escape from that giant pit is push-ups.
1: It is push-ups. No, I, I'm not arguing that. Your push-ups is, push-ups is what it takes. <laughs> um, but, you know, to, to really have the weight of Gotham can become what it did with Bane, I, it would have worked better with that untold amount of time passing.
0: And I agree with you from a storytelling perspective. And then I agree with you also from a financial perspective. Because, again, Harry Potter Part 1 and 2, um, what was the uh, the Twilights, for God's sakes? And then the Hunger Games, mm-hmm. you know, that, that them doing Part 1 and 2. So I agree with you from a financial perspective. However, I think Christopher Nolan checked out. I think, I'm not sure he wanted to make this movie in the first place. And I think post Heath Ledger dying. He did it completely out of obligation.
1: I don't think I can defend him on on that front. I I think you might be right because he said he only wanted to do three. Like I've I've, read,
2: I've I think I'd read that somewhere. Somebody else saying the same thing. Like yeah, he's totally checked out that's, by the time the that, that, came that
1: I think that's a fair because
2: accusation. Wasn't he already starting Interstellar at that point? I mean, had that not.
0: Well, I, I I know I I think that him being Christopher Nolan being Christopher Nolan, this was the movie he was working on. He was focused a hundred percent on The Dark Knight Rises. He wanted to make it as good as he possibly can, but his heart wasn't in it.
1: Yeah, he was obligated to three, and this is the third one, yeah. and so it's it's you know the softball. It's still it's still no Batman and Robin. You don't have you know Bane wearing a fedora going driving a giant bank truck, but it's it's compared particularly compared to the prior two movies it is phoning in a little
2: bit and they kind of hint that this is how it's going to end and begins i don't remember the exact line but it's something to the effect of you know
1: how do you think you can sustain right
2: yeah yeah.
0: do you think um that even though christopher nolan may have only only wanted it to be a trilogy do you think that that was warner bros intentions or do you think with the dark knight rises nolan saying i want to finish the trilogy they said okay that's what we'll go with I halfway think they had always intended this series to be ad infinitum
2: I think they did too I, yeah I, I think when when they did begins they had fingers crossed that this was going to open up you know a whole new wave of Batman films mm-hmm. and, and then it yeah
1: did. But just
2: not in the way that <laughs> it's just not expected. in the way they
0: wanted it. Yeah, to, yeah, exactly. I think it became a trilogy only, you know, right before Dark Knight Rises when Christopher Nolan just said, I don't want to do any more of these. Mm-hmm. And I want the movie I want to make finishes this story Well, and,
1: and begins doesn't exactly end in a way that hints that there is going to be a conclusion because it ends with the calling card of the Joker. Right. Like you kind of expect that mm-hmm. maybe maybe it does continue in perpetuity and and becomes what the, you know, other but at the same time, I I do appreciate Nolan's vision to make it a story with an actual arc that has an ending. Um, I just don't think he sticks the landing. Yeah, I think it could have been it could have been rewarding to do it that way. He just he missed some things. Now we've said the B word
0: throughout this James Bond. Um, do you think that the Daniel Craig films do you th- do you consider those reboots or those sequels?
1: I think the reboots in a sort of i they're kind of having their cake and eating it too i would i would consider them reboots though i mean one of the big criticisms i've heard from people who are hardcore james bond fans which i can't claim i am i've seen a smattering of them but not nearly i mean i don't think i've even seen a quarter of the 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 films um is that you know a lot of people complain that okay well these daniel craig movies they aren't really james bond movies because you don't have gadgets but he's kind of you know there's been an ebb and a flow of i think uh, Pierce Brosnan was the height of the ridiculous gadgetry. I mean, actually, I mean, during the seventies, it got pretty wacky. But
0: as far as you know, more recent, oh, yeah,
1: the more recent height, then. Yeah. But
0: I mean, it kind of died down.
1: Invisible, yeah, exactly. Like it, it I think it was like invisible and
0: cars and a satellite that shot sunbeams. So yeah. it
1: was, it got pretty absurd. Yeah. So um, th- it was kind of what you needed as a, a palate cleanser, if you will. Um, and I like them. I I think. Uh, They've kind of they've wavered a little bit. Like I, I think Casino Royale was really great. We're not going to talk about Quantum of Solace because there were problems that were somewhat beyond their control, being that they went into production during the writer's strike, and you know they had they already had everything set let's, up. Let's just call it what it is. It's a Quantum of Solace, but a bucket of shit.
0: So
2: <laughs> it's the best way of describing. Okay. Can, can I make a confession? You like it? I, no, I've I've only seen one James Bond film. Uh, of, of them all which Wait, one
1: uh, of all of them was that skyfall? It was skyfall. That's okay. And then Chris Sky- doesn't like that, correct? You don't uh, like that. No, uh, skyfall I think is not as good as Casino Royale, but I think skyfall's a pretty great movie. I have some problems with it, but I also I like what it's doing with sort of it is winking at you in a lot of ways. And it it is very self-aware that like it's a James Bond movie and it's saying like, "Oh, we've been breaking conventions." So, here's here's us making an argument um, for breaking conventions and also for like people who say, do we need another James Bond movie? Like they're literally the plot of that movie is the, the thesis is, do we need another James Bond movie? Well, yeah, he's evolved and we, we still need him around. Like that's basically what they're saying. Um, I, I like it. I think above all else, like the Roger Deacon cinematography is the thing that like when I see it on HBO, that's why I watch it because it is a beautiful movie. Um, held up. Though honestly against something like the Dark Knight, um, I, I do think there's you know, comparing those two on a big screen, there were a few things with the limitation of uh the camera that they were using that, you know, there there are In night- the Dark Knight or Skyfall. And in Skyfall, there are these night aerials that look a little look a little rough whereas you compare to nolan's you know imax aerials which are just beautiful and i am sorry i'm getting a little bit into the technical nerd now but like these are the things that i really just was eat be- up.
2: was begins shot in imax i don't know if Begins no, has any imax mm-hmm. okay
1: no um
0: okay so given my propensity to make rules and then break them uh-huh. um, if i were to establish a rule for reboots it would be this is if if no one remembers the movie remake it If people remember it, they still like it, make a sequel until it quits making money um, or do a prequel. If your movie just completely jumped the shark and stepped in shit, then reboot. And so that Batman needed to reboot in many ways. James Bond needed to be rebooted, Godzilla, Star Trek, whereas Jurassic World, even though Jurassic Park 3 wasn't that good, it wasn't just a complete uh, shit show. Mm-hmm. So they needed, so that was fine. I wouldn't have liked a Jurassic World park reboot. I, I think a sequel was the way to go in something like that.
1: Yeah. I, I think it, it's kind of both. It's, I, I guess it's more directly a sequel, but yeah. there, there's, there's weird. There's, it's a vague sequel, but it's, but it's, yeah. And s- across them all, mm-hmm. uh, I would just like to point out if anyone is looking for a studio head and liked a uh, Hunter's, you know, honestly, philosophy I, here, it, it, email us at hello at war starts at midnight and, uh, We will send you a resume and
0: certainly be sure to read this week's midweek memo as I talk a little bit more about the distinctions between them. But let's talk about what we really all want to focus on, which is Batman.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say facing the wheel.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to face the wheel. I, I just can't wait. There's still too much sweat on that brow. Exactly. I'm drenched. So. Uh, one of the things we asked our listeners was, "Who is your favorite Batman? Your your favorite on screen Batman?" So let's take it to the crowd here. Who wants to start? Who
2: wants to do first? Uh, Joe's our guest. All uh, right,
1: or or Joe? Yeah, Joe Kerr.
2: I kind of we were talking about this earlier, and I kind of hinted. I said I'm not going to be surprised if we all pick the same one. So i I don't really want to go first, but I will begrudgingly go first. And it's it's tough for me. I. I watched 1966 Batman a lot. I love Adam West. I don't know why. It's campy. It's it's not Batman, but at the same time, it's Batman. And as a kid, it was hilarious. But I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Kevin Conroy. I'm gonna go with Batman the animated series. Batman. I think it hits the nail in the head as far as what Bruce Wayne is supposed to be and and what Batman is supposed to be. Do you think that that is illegitimate, given that we never see Kevin Conroy in the
0: costume? <laughs> and I'm and I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not. Being I, that guy, I I don't I'm, so. I'm going to back Joey on
1: this.
2: I, I figured I, I, I figured
1: I, I think I guess I guess I'll just throw mine in. Mine is also Kevin Conroy for a number of reasons. I mean, if you think about like he's he's probably the Batman that I know the most as Batman. He's still Batman. And he, yeah, he's still Batman in, in the video games. Yeah. And I think he like I, I've been watching the animated series, rewatching the animated series recently. And there's they still really hold up. I mean, there's. They're obviously kids cartoons and they're, you know, 20 minute stories. So you can't do a whole lot, but they're very good. They're very they're told very well. I think they had a good structure to, you know, not being not being the old uh Adam West Batman, you know, they and existing in because essentially they were just writing on the coattails of Burden's Batman. I mean, they're using that amazing Danny Elfman score, yeah. Um, which just watching it recently like that opening intro is just drenching with nostalgia for me and it's,
2: even the, the gothic architecture if you well, want to call it that of yeah uh
1: there
0: it, it's just a really good tone it's it to me out yeah, to me it's the quintessential batman story and then kevin conroy in that is the quintessential batman uh, his his Bruce Wayne is very vulnerable, whereas his Batman is just a pillar of strength. So I mm-hmm. think it's just
1: incredible. Work. I think that's a really good point. If you listen to his voice between playing Bruce Wayne and playing Batman, he really puts on two very distinct different voices for I mean, you could I could close my eyes and tell you which one he is. Oh, absolutely. One of my favorite scenes in the series
0: was whenever Batman was holding the phone and pretending to be Bruce Wayne. And so he made his voice (laughs) a little bit higher.
1: (laughs) Uh, So who who is your favorite Batman? Well, I'm kind of
0: in a bind here because the answer is Kevin Conroy. However, my innate sense of contrarianism forces me to pick something else. Okay. so in Harvey Dent's style, heads, Kevin Conroy, tails, Christian Bale. Wow,
1: heads Kevin Conroy. So that wow. is my favorite. We're we're in agreement here. Dude,
2: I I kind of feel dirty.
1: I mean, because of all three of us. Chosen, I, mean, yeah. I I think I think it's a partially because you know we are children of the nineties. yeah. And this was on every night after, or every afternoon after school um it's i would be interested to see if you know particularly like kids you know high school kids these days is it christian bale out of the park because that's who they Because that's
2: how they know yeah uh,
1: other than you know i guess playing the arkham games yeah um we did have a listener comment on the the facebook page and said michael keaton all the way uh which i you know i i have like i said earlier i have a fondness for keaton but there's just he, I, he has an interesting version of Batman and more, a more interesting version of Bruce Wayne, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but just Conroy, Conroy kills it for me. We were giving Kevin Conroy a lot of credit for the voice cause
0: he did it the best being a voice actor, but actually it was Michael Keaton who invented the Batman voice, which is probably the most consequential addition to the character mm-hmm. in many, many years. So I think
2: until the gravelly voice. Yes, exactly. Until that. How so long th- have we gone? We've gone. What? gosh, 40 some odd minutes. And this is the first time anyone's mentioned the gravelly voice. It's been talked to death.
1: I don't think anything (laughs) can be added to that
2: conversation. I actually don't mind it that much. Am I alone? No, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Like, are are we talking like Batman begins gravelly voice or the dark Knight rises gravelly voice? Because,
1: (laughs) well, I, I think I first like heard it sort of becoming a meme after the dark Knight. Yeah. And I hadn't really made that, you know, it it hadn't stuck out to me.
2: Actually, that's probably a good point. Hadn't someone, had I not you know, heard someone else than I probably yeah. would have never noticed either. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's another thing is it to me in Batman begins, it was the most shocking cause had never heard it before. And it seemed probably the silliest in that. But once I got wrapped into it, it was fine. When the dark Knight came out and people were acting like it was brand new. That's what kind of took me by surprise. Cause you're just thinking, did you not see Batman begins? No, it's just I, like that.
1: But I think that speaks to, I don't think a lot of people saw Batman begins. I, I mean, you talk about box office in its grand total, I think, uh, Batman Begins made what, 158 million? Batman something like Begins
0: that? worldwide made what Dark Knight made just in the United States. However, what's interesting about Batman Begins is it opened at, I believe, 48, which is, you know, those are, those are really low numbers, but people liked it so much that it got good word of mouth, which is unusual it's for sustained. a summer picture. But yeah.
1: still, I mean, I, I think the Dark Knight almost made as much domestically in its opening week that Batman Begins made domestically total.
0: Well, and I think that, yeah, that just really speaks to the uh, popularity of the character mm-hmm. is people were more aware of the Dark Knight than I think they were of Batman Begins. I don't really remember Batman Begins campaign all that much. I I, I don't, don't
1: either. I mean, don't. I just remember it's a Batman movie. I just remember Chris
0: Collins saying, we're going to go see Batman Begins. And I was like, all right. I'll be yeah, that, that's really all there was to it is it just said, hey, guys, there's a new Batman movie. And considering that's it mm-hmm. and it's still doing what it did, I think is is pretty impressive.
1: I I think it's more impressive, though, that it led to it, it led to kind of Nolan being who he is today and, and having that deal where he you know was doing one Batman movie, one totally original property where he had total control on on Final Cut on edit and all of that. Like that's I, I'm sort of amazed that as good of a movie as Batman Begins was, I'm amazed that it was what led to Nolan being the guy who's allowed to make something like Inception or Interstellar, which are both wildly ambitious like nothing original properties that there's nothing to like connect it to and you know they they still did reasonably well and Uh,
0: and i can't think of any other contemporary director except you know maybe a few just on a smaller scale but he's probably the only one right now who's an above the title director you can't really count mountains, Chris or Steven Spielberg, cause that's from a different era. Mm-hmm. But as far as contemporary
1: directors, I can't really think of anyone. I think JJ Abrams is, is oh, thrown but, in there. Mm-hmm. I don't think he deserves it necessarily. Like, and not to say that he's a bad director, but he's a little hit or miss for me. Like he, he has, I think the things that are JJ Abrams, quote unquote, JJ Abrams fall into two camps. Generally it's either theft from Steven Spielberg um, slash worship of Steven Spielberg and getting together with his buddy, Damon Lindelof and making really poor decisions on plot.
0: Well, and do we even want to talk about star Trek or will we just babble too long?
1: Um, you know, we've made it this far. Let's go ahead and do it. Okay, fine. Let uh, Star Trek. Is that a good reboot? I've only seen the first one.
0: Okay. Then you, then you've seen the second one. Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I, I thought the first one was great. Actually. I remember after the first one came out, I kid you not saying like, I wish George Lucas would just, you know, at the time it was, I wish George Lucas would just pass so that someone else can take a crack at star Wars. And JJ J. Abrams was at the top of my list, uh, for, for that. Then he made star Trek two. Well, actually then he made super eight and then star Trek two and he began to dwindle and then he got star Wars. And so, I mean, had you asked me if he got star Wars immediately following star Trek I would have said great choice. Now, I'm not so sure. In
0: his defense, I don't think he dwindled off. I think he lindeloft. Oh, wow is do we have anything else to say about this special features topic or do i it, i don't think there can be a better transition to my punishment than what i just said <laughs> yeah let's
1: that that is a good
0: point well ladies and gentlemen those are our thoughts we'd love to hear yours so if you have any please email us at war starts at uh, you
1: I, I could hear a little quiver in your voice there you, you get a little I, scared a little bit yeah okay folks stick around for our really rad recommendations plus hunter's punishment coming up next yeah the heat was bearing barroom fight 103 at mid-87 in the dark of night She was sweating clear through his button-up shirt over to the river straight out of work. He was drunk before she got there. She was his only way home It hit an all-time high It was blazing See it in the sky and the asphalt mirage. Just a blur of red. The evening sun. When all the bottles were dead, her day was done. All right, Hunter. We're going to tease this out as long as we can. Um, and mostly just because I want to know what your recommendation is before, you know you possibly die from diabetes
0: well that yeah because that's the thing is after this i'm going to have zero credibility yeah if i what credibility i have left i'm going to have zero negative credibility
2: so i need to at least get the recommendation out first
1: well let me tease even that out a little further Joey what's your recommendation today
2: well I I, I call myself many things but a, a film critic is not one of them uh, so when we were first talking about doing you know the 10th anniversary of Batman begins I, I just decided that I'd go on and look and see what some of the other box office hits were of, of 2005 interesting so I'm gonna keep it with the 10 year anniversary theme okay and I'm you, gonna go you don't you don't want to go with the 20 year and do I, Batman forever I thought about it I just can't do that to the people. Uh, I'm gonna go with Walk the Line. Um, I, that movie came out sometime in 2005. I think it was actually earlier than Batman Begins. Was it? I, I don't remember, but it, because it seems like a it seems like yeah, a late I think fall. It was Oscar a, yeah, I, think, bait. It was, uh, I was think it was after Oscar yeah. bait. Yeah, um, but I just remember you know after that movie came out, it seemed like our generation really got into Johnny Cash. I I remember mm-hmm. my uh, sweet mate had OU really started playing a lot of Johnny Cash after that and it was just it's a good film it kind of helped make and break the biopic for you know for a time
1: where it's everything I mean I think Ray came out maybe a year before that and did kind of the same thing but after that it was to the point where you get something like Walk Hard where it's a parody of that whole, like, oh, bro, you know, came up by the bootstraps and had tragedy happen to me and blah, blah, blah.
2: And I I would be remiss to to not point out that it's got my favorite actress of all time who I would do anything for, Reese Witherspoon. So, Reese, if you're listening, you can contact War Starts at Midnight for my information.
1: Okay. You got anything else to say about it?
2: Walk the line or Reese. Either. No, I I'm done. Okay.
1: Hunter. Give us your recommendation.
0: I'm actually going to make you sweat a little bit because I do like my recommendation and I think it, I I think you'll enjoy it as well. So I'm going to throw it back to you.
1: So it'll be your final words, perhaps basically. Yeah. Okay. Well, my recommendation, we've actually kind of talked about it a bit, uh, talked about the things that I wanted to talk about with it. Uh, but my recommendation is the Batman, the animated series, because it's currently streaming on Amazon prime. If you haven't seen it, totally worth watching. If you have seen it, watch it. I think it really holds up. Um, you know, the, the things that work are, we were talking earlier about just the style of it, that, that art deco style that, um, really gives it, you know, it's working a lot in shadows. It's a really beautifully animated and designed, uh, landscape. And, um, he is, you know, Joey, you, you complain that Batman in the Nolan universe is not, the world's greatest detective. He very much in uh the animated series is the world's greatest detective. So much of what he does in the show is he gets a clue. He takes it back and he, you know, basically in the opening, he gets a clue. And then throughout the rest of the episode, he's trying to figure Plenty out, together. trying to piece it all together. And, and so you get that, you get the, just that Batman with the big white eyes mm-hmm. is just, you know, very minimalist silhouette sort of, sort of Batman I I just love. And, you know, part of it is just because I grew up with it as a child, but part of it, I think it's a really well-designed Batman uh, to the point that it kind of pissed me off when they give that they in the trailer for, uh, for Batman V Superman yeah. colon Dawn of justice. Like
2: it's I, that, that feels like an unearned throw up fanboy homage. Can, can I coattail you real quick? Sure. I'm really glad that you, your recommendation is the animated series, but I'm going to flip it up just a little bit uh mask of the phantasm mm. that might be one of the best films honestly scared scared yeah. me as a child i legitimately thought about making that my recommendation but was scared i'd get laughed out of the War no. Not no, 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 no not here not here in thunderdome but yeah uh
1: i i think that's that's a great recommendation as well uh that is batman the animated series it's streaming now on amazon prime okay hunter the the moment of reckoning has come. Yeah, my us- last,
0: my yeah, my last as a credible film critic, if I ever was one. <laughs> and yeah, I wasn't. No. So yeah, no. anyway. Uh if you are looking for Netflix documentaries on dinosaurs, <laughs> you are going to be woefully, woefully disappointed. There's nothing. And in and the ones that are there all week, except for one. And this one is called Dinotasia. Dinotasia is not your traditional National Geographic or Discovery Channel style dinosaur doc where they show CGI footage and then cut to talking heads of Bob Barker and Bob Barker and uh, Jack Horner or whoever the paleontologist of the day is. What it is is a series of vignettes of these different dinosaurian scenarios. For instance, you have the T-Rex raising their child and then it's at the Cretaceous, so an asteroid, spoiler alert, an asteroid kills them. Or you have the Allosaurus who has its jaw broken and has to somehow fight to survive. So it's it's a very innovative dinosaur documentary with minimal narration. However, this is going to get Chris Giddy because it's got dinosaurs. But would you care to guess who the narrator
2: is? Ooh, is, it, is it Morgan Freeman? Ooh, do you have a guess? Um i'm gonna say paul newman the
0: na- <laughs> oh yeah that's that's right <laughs> i mean it, wait I, it's paul newman no 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 no. no but no, 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 to get no, you no. giddy who no. else would do oh, it he, oh yeah okay just, just you wait just you mean. wait um i'll give you a hint the <laughs> the narration is very cryptic and cynical about chaos and life being ultimately <gasps> is it Werner herzog it is Werner herzog <laughs> Werner Herzog not he doesn't ma- he doesn't l- list one fact about dinosaurs it's just a series of cryptic comments about how life is chaos and Did they just let uh, him write his own script? I don't think so. No, I do, but, it, but they might as well. It's kind of like <laughs> you'll see these dinosaurs and they'll say in the script of in his thick German accent which I'm not going to try and imitate but it's in the script of yeah, life Yeah, in the script of life they ha- we're about to leave the
2: stage but before
0: we do some things have I, to die or,
2: yeah. I was in Chris's wedding i have never seen him more excited <laughs> Holy!
1: you guys are just ma- calling me an alcoholic saying <laughs> I, i'm more excited here yeah well very well i mean okay. narrating about dinosaurs yeah that's so pretty that so that's
0: on netflix it's called dinotasia it's about an hour and a half and it's it's good stuff you'll enjoy it all right
1: hunter the time of reckoning has come after that. I mean, do I really have to reckon for anything that was that's, you know, I, I tried to laugh you off the mic and then you won me over. Um, I, but you know what? We gotta, we gotta stay firm. Wheel, wheel, We're, wheel, wheel
0: off of uh, this head. I'm going to uh, be
1: Ned Stark here in a second. It just completely, <laughs> it just escalates really quickly. Well, we can, we could, you know, get rid of acquittal and yeah, exactly off with his head. If, off if of you want to, yeah. if you want to face that. Okay. Um, Those were your last words. Any other final last words before?
0: I will say this for future reference is the mistake I made was to quantify it. For instance, if I were to say the Golden State were to win the NBA finals by 25 points, I would have lost. Whereas if I just said they would win the NBA finals, I would have won. My mistake was quantifying it. So in the future, when making bets, boys and girls don't quantify something because you're just (laughs) setting yourself up for failure.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, here we go. Um, let me add a little bit of grease here to the wheel. It's a, it's it's a little bit squeaky. But you ready?
0: No, but I get I have no choice.
1: Oh my gosh! This is <laughs> I can't. This is perfect. Okay, you can't see this. Let me read it to you. Number eight, which is double shandy. This is the best day of my life. This isn't,
0: and this is the worst day of my life. I can't believe this. This is amazing. <laughs> though, in a way, even though this is something really bad happening, I'm almost happy to get it over with. It's like a shot when you're a kid. You this know is, what I mean? It's and, all over after and,
1: and, and, this. But this is also the right, the right punishment for trying to escape. For trying to break the deals, I have to face it twice. <laughs> Okay. So, uh, the armed guard that you mentioned earlier, he, he has the shandies. He's going to bring them in now. Um, let me, you know, this is such an amazing moment. I'm going to, uh, record a little video of this that we can put up on the, the website as a little added special feature.
0: And, and just so you all know, cause you all, uh, can't see it on the podcast. We have a bottle and a can because Chris was prepared and I was prepared. I was actually going to try and weasel my way out again, by just saying, okay, I'm not doing any of these. I'll just drink the damn Shandy. However, little, I come, did you know. little did I know that was already an option. And little did I know that the hands of fate would dictate that out of the 10% chance I would be drinking the, the Shandy. So, I think I'm going to start with the
2: bottle. Now, are you supposed to shake these? I was going to say, I, you might want to read it. I think there's a way to drink a Summer Shandy. Maybe Which not. is not to. Nope. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. I got, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, those were twist off.
0: Oh, wow! Well, of, course, and we, and, of course, it's a, a twist off. Let, let's just keep adding humiliation to this. Okay, numero uno. Now, how much am I chugging this? Like it, just enough to not drown myself, or you got two of these okay. bad boys?
1: <sighs> got tears in my eye. These uh, these sounds are just <laughs> pitiful.
0: Uh, this is a great moment in radio. One, uh, one is that one. Down? Twelve floor counts that was limiting. Oh, okay. Numero
2: dos. Oh, you really need to open your gullet.
0: Halfway there. <coughs> <coughs>
2: oh. Hands are literally shaking at this point. Oh,
0: and that's it. That's
2: it. Okay. Now you got to smash it.
0: Oh man. I hope I puke on your floor.
1: (laughs) Are you kidding? No. Okay. Well, I'm going to convince (sighs) this for the, uh, for the podcast. So if you would like to see the entire thing in action, uh, Visit warstartsatmidnight.com. dot com. This and is
0: basically the equivalent of like an ISIS video.
1: What you're doing right now, <laughs> and I will uh, i put this in the in the show notes for for this episode
0: for our sadistic listeners.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well,
0: um, the, the 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 point being is, I, I think the the message here is once again, don't quantify your bets, and just don't drink summer shandy, ever. I have nothing more to say.
1: All right. Well, that's a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Check us out online at warstartsatmidnight.com, where you can sign up for our brand new newsletter, The Midweek Memo. You give us your personal information, and in return, we give you recommendations, news about upcoming episodes, and exclusive articles written just for you. Go sign up for it right now. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr at WSAMpod. And if you enjoy the show, help us reach new listeners by reviewing it in iTunes.
0: And if you hate the show, I really don't know what else we can do. I mean, if you consider the entertainment value of me just chugging two really shitty shandies, I mean, what's next? You want me to, like, juggle chainsaws or something (laughs) like that? There's nothing left we can do to get you to like this show. But if you do hate it but care enough to let us know about it, then just email us at, hello at, war at midnight.com or give us a call on that bright red telephone
1: at 484-424-6362. Music in this week's show comes from the album Thin Black Line by Smokey in the Mirror. Find tour dates and music at smokeyinthemirror.com and catch them, Bo Jennings, and many more next week at the Woody Guthrie Folk Festival in Okima, Oklahoma. Join us next time when we
0: delve deep into the mind of an 11-year-old girl to bring you a discussion of the Inside Out, the latest from veteran Pixar director
1: Pete Docter. Thanks for listening. Go home! That's right. Goodbye, Johnny.
2: Sign up.
0: Or if you want to be a true Batman aficionado, drink some ginger ale and pretend it's champagne to trick all of your party guests into not realizing you're Not actually a playboy.
1: (laughs) Did did, did you read the script? Oh, no, I
0: didn't. (laughs) Is there something?
1: Yeah, you have a line right there. Plus, find out what happens when Hunter attempts to bypass a burden brought about by box office pound beer bet.
2: That's great. That's all on you.
1: Yeah.